In today's quest, we explore the time-honored tradition of a forbidden affair creating death and destruction. This is the Quest for Power. Welcome back to the Quest for Power, where we are ranking and reviewing all of the European monarchs from the early Middle Ages to World War I. We are your history nerds, Scott and Michael, and today we're going to be reviewing last week's villain, Kilperic of House Merovingian, first of his name, Emperor Nero and King Herod of his time, escape artist, academic royal bard, kinslayer, lord of dysentery, king of Neustria. Really long title this time. Ex extremely long title this time. He has uh he has quite a bit of accolades. Not all of them good. I'm I don't think I want to be Lord of Dysentery, but <laughs> uh, I guess we'll find out. We did have the spoilers from last week talking about it, so I think this is our our uh, our point, our crux of the research here. Yes, it is. Um. So, you know, kind of a shitty, kind of a shitty title. Uh, <laughs> but if you're looking for a more impressive title, uh, then you should check us out and join the Lore Masters Guild at patreon.com slash quest for power. There you can check out some of our side episodes where we talk a little more in depth about some of our people, places, uh, concepts, castle building. And uh, we will also give you a shout out welcoming you to the guild. So, Scott, what have you been up to lately? Baldur's Gate 3. I'm pretty sure I've already talked about this before, but I'll say it again. Can't get enough of it. Did it win all the awards? Like, it won, the... Yeah. Oh, deserved. It's so Seem, good. Seems like it. It seems like they absolutely nailed this one. Yeah. I, I When it first, uh, it came out like on early access a long time ago, and I remember people just talking, just saying, just talking shit about it. And I was... I was writing this off as like an awful thing. So mm -hmm. good. Best game, like in a decade. Just goes to show how well it, you know, how long, you know, when you develop things longer over periods of time, how it gets better. Not that some of these companies where they just rush a release right away. Like it's, I think it's better that they do an early release and say, hey, we're still working on it. And then that way you can work out the kinks and get a really good product yeah. and deliver it at the end. Still got a lot of kinks, but it's to the point where everything is just so good. What it does well, it does exceedingly well. I'm sure anyone who's like played it has probably heard its praises way too much, but uh, it is, yeah, my favorite game by a pretty fair margin. Third playthrough, and I probably plan at least doing a couple more playthroughs and in addition to playing playthroughs with friends on co-op great that story. seems really interesting that seems like the fun part about that game oh like... no solo is great oh it's still is it? good the characters are great the story is intriguing and the interactions are so deep like there's a wild thing where like you know the the spell speak with dead is a oh yeah uh but the thing is is if you kill the person and you try and speak with the dead with them, they don't feel inclined to talk to you because you killed them. <laughs> so what do you do? You can cast Disguise Self. 
and look like somebody else and then they'll be inclined to talk to you like it's stuff like that it's the small things where they go to the nth degree talking with cats is a pleasure because they're all like they're the voice acting for the cats is all they're all high and mighty oh that is awesome so that's super animals is a an absolute pleasure oh like i'm accepting compliments now (laughs) (laughs) like an actual phrase that one of them says so i love it there's a million there's a million small things to do and it makes you curious about all of them that's always cool yeah best game ever i see you're still recovering from your sickness (laughs) yeah yeah rsv does not go away no matter what and in fact i was feeling really good like the last three days and then last night i just had a horrible coughing attack that i was up to like 4 a.m on and i just finally took like night mucinex and knocked myself out but that's right can't experience sickness if you're in a coma no and it's kind of funny that like while i'm sick i keep reading about dysentery and i'm like well at least i don't have that to deal with right now would be pretty pretty rough yeah all right well speaking of uh let's get into today's sources uh shocker we have gregory of tours this man hated kilperick and his wife he i cannot underestimate understate how bitter he feels towards this man he personally had to deal with him he in fact calls him after he dies the nero and herod of our time hence why he's put i put that in the title yeah well it helps that his rival was the the man who uh oh uh what is it a bishop gave him his title as a bishop yeah gave him his bishopric yeah the one so, ridiculously powerful one of that yeah if you were inclined to write a narrative he would make a very good antagonist oh to yeah the hero and, of oh uh, yeah Kilperic, or i'm sorry um oh who was the previous fellow? sigabert sigabert yeah Kilperic is this fellow yeah yeah and Kilperic doesn't help himself in that in that aspect too like it, he 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 does things that are pretty villainous that it's like yeah that's gonna no matter what way you write that that's gonna put you in a negative light but you gotta love those yeah it's but, bias but he did did he do the thing the thing yeah. thing with gregory is what i've had to learn and it might come across in the narrative i tried to whittle it out as much as possible he puts Kilperic as a very whiny, weak king, and Kilperic is not a whiny, weak king. That it would be his brother, who we'll deal with later, a different brother. Kilperic is a very strong king. He's a very powerful king, but Gregory does not like that. He does not want to admit it, but over, like, and you just keep getting these small bits of things he says, and it's like, oh, no, Kilbrick actually has some serious power if he's able to do X, as we'll be able to find out. So that's another thing to keep in mind as we go through our narrative. Uh, we also have the poet Fortunatus. Uh, he wrote about Kilbrick in glowing terms during a panegyric, but that was because... He was helping his best friend Gregory get out of a pickle, which I think we will get to in later as well of this episode. All right. With that, Scott, you want to give us a quick intro into today's session? Yeah, sure. All right. King Clotaire's favorite queen, Ingund, was in despair that her sister 
Aragund is going to remain single and ask her powerful husband for a match. Once Clotaire had laid eyes on her sister, he knew the perfect husband. Himself, of course. Shortly after having the perfect solution to his wife's woes, he married her sister, and now Clotaire was simultaneously husband to both sisters. He was married to their firstborn cousin, Radagund. After Aragund and Clotaire spent some quality time together, Aragund later, later gave birth to a boy named Kilperic, anywhere from 525 to 539, and it will be their only son. Uh, great, great intro. So the big thing here is um, King Ingund, so her three offspring that we deal with is Caribert, Sigibert, and Gontrand. Gontran versus um, Kilperic is the only son of Aragund. So he kind of feels like he's on the outside right away simply because of who his mother is compared to the others. Mm -hmm. Even though they're sisters. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the. Um... Yeah, and he's, um, uh, yeah I, I'm just yeah like visualizing the, the family tree here. Yeah, yeah. And he's also the youngest out of all of his brothers as well. So he's really got a lot of stuff against him to start out. Okay. So what was your um, initial impression of Kilperic from our last episode? If you remember any, any of him during Sigebert's reign, we painted quite a negative picture, if I recall correctly. Yeah. So my initial impressions are is that at first he was like pretty par the course of a lot of the Merovingian kings of the time. Like, again, not painted positively, but especially because, let's be real, is that Sigebert was painted as a very like Christian, uh, very pious. I want to say pious. That's not the best word, but very like, you know, dedicated to like his wife having a single wife and very much like a, you know, especially by like, again, our Christian influence society standards, a very upstanding kind of guy. Whereas like this guy's kind of, you know, put down as like, Hey, this is like the old Merovingian ways that are like, you know, not good. And he's also kind of like, you know, he's also like a backstabbing or strangling guy <laughs> yep. yep yeah like just it just overall like not a very uh not not a good fellow to be around yeah yeah that's uh that's a pretty that's a that's pretty much what i figured is what you we, people would be thinking of is what he'd be looking like right away um maybe i've been listening to too many star wars what if videos but kilperic to me has seriously Anakin Skywalker energy. He's angsty, angry. He makes impulsive decisions, has forbidden attachments that lead to the death of thousands, tendency to kill not just the men, but the women and the children too. And he slaughters them like animals. That's right. It is. So, uh, well, let's get into his life before he became king. Uh, during Kilprick's early life, he be his father... Clotaire became king of all the Franks, outliving all of his brothers and their heirs as well. Clotaire ended up having six confirmed wives and at least seven sons from those marriages. So maybe he's more like his father than uh, meets the eye. 
already at a young age, Kilprick accompanied his father on campaigns. He was a veteran along his half-cousin brother, uh, Sigurbert, along with his half-brother Sigurbert, in the bloody fighting fields against the Saxons in 555. Uh, what doesn't come across all the time is Kilbrick actually worked really hard to make himself a better warrior, better horseman, and he tried to be the best possible fighter on horseback. And because of this, he's actually considered one of the more gifted horseback riders, which is pretty kind of cool. Something that did not shine through in the previous descriptions of him. Definitely did not. Uh, when his brother, ha sorry, when his half-brother Cram rebelled against their father, Clo Kilperic joined Clotaire in putting an end to Cramp's insignificant rebellion, and he watched his father burn his own son, daughter-in-law, and granddaughters alive in some poor bastard's hut as punishment for Cram's insolence. That kind of thing is going to scar a child growing up. Oh, Even bit. if it's not a child, even if he's in his 20s or 30s, it's going to leave you a little messed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if he has any ounce of humanity in him. Yeah. Despite growing up in a very violent culture, Kilprick had a passion for learning. He enjoyed learning languages. He knew some Latin, Greek, and even Hebrew in addition to his native Frankish. So that is someone who is a, doesn't seem as, you know, this uh you know this barbarian that is you know just the old merovingian ways it's uh he's actually got quite a bit of education to him which is pretty cool yeah he actually composed his own poetry which has unfortunately been lost to the sands of time but gregory feels the need to tell us that his poetry sucked <laughs> and that he read it to him and he hated it wow <laughs> the the disrespect yes kilprick was also well versed in theology and this really irritated gregory because kilprick didn't just take what the church said at face value as well so he's got a lot of facets to him in fact he tries to change like one of the core things of the church uh that gets that a lot of people have a, a lot of pushback on let's say In 561, Kilperic uh, was made aware that his father died during a hunting trip, which caused him to spring immediately into action. He rode to Bernie, seized Clotaire's treasure, and he used that to bribe the Frankish nobility in exchange for their loyalty. He then made his way to Paris, or Paris, which was the epicenter of power in the Merovingian Empire, and it looks like to everyone, he was trying to steal the kingdom because he pretty much was. So obviously, this power, blatant power grab wouldn't go unanswered. He would know it wouldn't go unanswered. So why do you think he would take such drastic steps when he's already an heir? Gotta, hmm. well, you have to, you have competition still. Nothing's, nothing's set in stone. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. Um is that uh, one theory that some historians have is that this power grab was more out of self-preservation. He is the only son of Aragund and the other three were the children of Ingund. So like I said earlier, he, you know, is already on the outside and he thought that they might exclude him from the secession plans, even though, you know, it's against Salic law, which the Merovingians have been following to a T 
except for when they murder you know their nephews and stuff but other than that like they they follow this law if it goes to fruition yeah death really puts a damper on these things it really does uh by seizing Paris, he actually gained a major bargaining chip as well that he would get a good a piece of his father's kingdom for sure because he kind of held it at hostage so to speak mm-hmm if that was his plan, not saying it was, if it was, uh, it sort of worked. Kilprick was encouraged by his brothers at sword point that to share the kingdom with them. And for all of his troubles, Kilprick received the worst kingdom in all of this, the kingdom of Soisan. It was the smallest of the four kingdoms. And on top of that, he was boxed in on all sides by his brother's lands. And they all had at least one foreign border on their kingdom to like expand out because um, that's the the biggest problem. Merovingian kings power is based on their Frankish warriors and to get them to be allied with you, you need to give them lands. You need them to give area to expand and plunder to keep them happy. They were forcing Kilbrick if he wanted to stay in power, he would have to attack his brothers. And I'm guessing they did this all on purpose. Mm. Yeah. Well, this may have misfired a, bat, a bit on his brothers. Because in 562, Kilbrick's spies let him know that his brother on the eastern border, Sigebert, was marching a sizable force on the camp on campaign against the Avars. Kilperic seized this opportunity, as you do, and he invaded his brother's kingdom. He quickly captured and the his undefended old capital of Reims and the surrounding lands. It wasn't long, though, till his brother came roaring back <laughs> and seized Kilperic's capital at Soissan, as well as his eldest son, Teodobert, or Teodobert. I learned that the U might be a O sound. So I may have been saying those words wrong, and it's not Teodobert, it'd be Teodobert. Teodobert. So, like, te- for like when I kept saying Teodoric, it'd be Teodoric. So, learn something new every day. Kilprick realized real quick he wasn't going to win this fight. So he f- was forced to sue for peace and return all of his brother's captured territory. So that's. That's a little unfortunate. He didn't do so well there. He did receive a little bit of luck in 567. His brother Caribert died without a legitimate heir, which meant the massive kingdom of Paris would be divided among the three remaining brothers. Kilbrook's small little kingdom was at least tripled in size, if not more. He received... The rest of the northern land that bordered the English Channel up to Brittany uh, extended his kingdom eastward and received sizable chunks of Aquitaine and Septimania to the south of France. I should say he extended his kingdom. Oh, yeah, no, no, that'd be eastward. So pretty fortunate turn of events. He didn't have to kill anyone and he got a lot more land than he was used to. Yeah, lucky him. Yep. As we said in Sigebert's episode, the brothers decided to split the 
the powerful and wealthy city of Paris three ways and each swore an oath that they will never enter the city without permission of the others. And of course, all oaths during this time are always upheld. Of course. <laughs> yeah, some... I'm sure it'll work out great. No, I oh. actually, I, we're, I know it's rehashing, but I actually do like the neutral, neutral city of Paris. I do. I think it's fun. It's something I've never heard of before. It's, except... it's fun in a political nightmare kind of fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely horrific politically. Would not want to be a part of that. At some point in his life, Kilprek married his first wife, Autovera. Uh, it appears that she had no royal or even noble lineage, so it's a good chance that she was a servant or something of the sort that the Merovingians like to do around this time. Together, they had five children, three sons, Theodobert, Merovec, and Clovis, uh, two daughters, Clodocinda and Bassina. So Otto Vera had this really smoking hot servant girl in her service, and her name is Fredegund. The king thought she looked mighty fine. And let's just say the two got to know each other quite well. It wasn't long till Fredegund was serving the king more than she was serving the queen. And she had such good serving skills that she was not only able to convince the king to marry her, but she also got him to send poor Otto Vera to a nunnery. Yeah. Ugh. That's fun. <laughs> so at this point, she either, Fredegund is either a second-rate wife or she is a mistress. Some sources, all the sources call her a mistress. I believe in um, Clotaire's episode, we went on the whole tangent of first-rate wives, second-rate wives. Just know that he's having sex with her quite a bit. It's just all you need to really know. So as you're aware, in our previous episodes, Gregory despises Fredegund. And earlier when I said it, uh, she because she came such a low place in society, she was like a slave. She was either a slave or just a, a peasant servant. Mm -hmm. And she, she rose all the way from, you know, into society to, you know, the king's mistress or the king's wife and gregory wasn't about that he became a very influential family he hated people that rose up through society god forbid you have any social mobility in his eyes yeah well yeah i i mean that that feels like uh coming from a person who started off probably a little i'm trying to think he started off well he started off very well. I'm trying to remember. It's been a long time since we talked about good old Greg. Old Greg. Gregory uh, started off. He started off with a very like influential family right off the bat. He yeah. is a complete snob and it shows through in all of his writing. He looks down at anyone who started at, at a lower station in life and rose through because for some reason they weren't born into it. That's better. I don't, you know. Yeah. He's very self-righteous as you probably have old money kind of gathered. <laughs> oh, yes. He is definitely old money. Definitely. I'd have to agree. One day, Kilbrick received news that his hated brother, Sigebert, married the royal Visigothic princess, Brunhilda, who is the daughter of the Visigothic king, Athanagild. 
Uh, this was quite threatening to Kilprick to both his ego and his kingdom. This meant that Sigebert now had an alliance to the Visigoths of Kilprick's south and, you know, Sigebert's to his east. So he could be in a pincered movement very easily on a two-front war, which would not be great for him. Especially in this day and age where you don't have radio to, you well, know, communicate. Hopefully uh, he doesn't do anything that causes... Uh any wars to start yeah yeah <laughs> yeah let's let's Not hope he just kind of you know does things rationally and flies flies under the radar. the radar yeah there you go uh also sigbert decided to call his wedding the caesar marriage and this in merovingian tongue is just short of declaring war because he basically put himself symbolically above his brother's and Kilprick can't let that go unanswered. That would make him look very weak at court. Not a, And Sigebert would have to have known this. So in response to this, Kilprick negotiated his own marriage to Sigebert's new queen, Brunhilde's sister, Galswintha, who was the older sister. So it was like, a, ooh, I got a little more um, prestige than you did, brother. I got the, you know, the, the... I don't know, the firstborn. Yeah. And this was so important to Kilperic to get this done that he even agreed to set aside all of his current wives and his concubines so that he could marry her to respect the Visigothic marriage code of no concubines, mistresses, or no other wives. This is not a small thing. He really enjoyed having sex with Fredegund. Like it was, so. it'd be kind of hard to stop doing that with her. So to give that up means like he really wanted this marriage. Galswintha was presented to the entire kingdom in an over the top, like ridiculous. Kilprick does not go half throttle. Went over the lavish gold, jewels everywhere. Tour of kingdom, uh, you know, just extravagant all the way through. And then eventually she and Kilprick were wedded to much fanfare and excitement. After Kelswintha Lila. After Gelswintha and Kilprick consummated their marriage, as part of her Morangabe, also known as Morning Gift, he gave her a ridiculous third of his kingdom of Neustria. Quite a display of power, but that's a huge risk. It's yeah, God forbid she, like, just, I don't know, like, leaves or something. I know her mobility is limited, but there does come a point where you're putting a lot of eggs in one basket. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, if she dies before they have children or their marriage or their marriage goes south, it leaves the door for the Visigoths in Spain to claim that one-third in a huge chunk of Frankish land at that that's right. Yeah, I actually remember we that was brought up last yeah. time. Yeah, exactly. No. So, yeah, no, that that makes sense. Very big risk. Uh, obviously, he was going to try to up one upstage his brother, and again, it's presented as it's his ego boosting, and to an extent, it is. But the other thing, how you display yourself, how much power you show yourself, is how you get security, is how you get loyalty 
in these times. You have to take risks like this instead of just playing it safe. If you play it safe, you just might end up being overrun because you were too afraid to do anything. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's a lot of land. Like, it is like, a lot of land. more reasonable? It is a ridiculous you, amount of land. Like a quarter, maybe? It, it's so much land that it makes me think that that was part of the marriage negotiations uh, with, with mm. Visigothic Spain. Uh, I, I bet Kilperic is pretty motivated to get busy. Oh, yes. With his yes, new wife. Was. That, that he probably was. But despite that motivation he should have for her and all the fanfare and his professed love for her, Gal Swintha realized that she wasn't the only woman in his life and that he could not help himself from banging his favorite servant, Fredegund. So even though like it is very motivated politically to not have this happen, he could not stop himself. Galswintha is not just some peasant woman who, you know, should be happy that she's queen. She's a Visigothic royal princess, damn it. And this is not what they agreed upon. She, in fact, knew that Fredegund existed and made terms in no uncertain terms that she would not be part of uh, his bedchamber. Yeah. And he agreed to all of that. So she eventually, you went, I'm done. I've had it with you. You you clearly do not respect me. I'm going to go back to Spain. I'm taking you, my third of the kingdom with me. Yeah. yeah. She actually said, I am not going to take a third of the kingdom with me. I just want to leave. I hate you that much. Wow. I mean, that's fair. He went back on everything he said. Yes, yeah. And again, in Visigothic politics, there is no there is no mistresses and things like that. They don't do that nonsense there. It's got to be kind of like rough to just like play second fiddle to uh a, you know, a servant girl, right? Ex yeah, exactly. Definitely is. This this also has the same energy that I like I remember hearing of like Chinese politics. Of like oh, China, yeah. like the like the like the harem uh Yes, definitely. Yep. It has or, the same energy. Yes, I'd have to agree with that. So obviously Kilprick though wasn't gonna let this happen. He he can't let that. He cannot let her go back. That would take everything he's ever built up and destroy it all. So he tried to soothe her concerns in doing the whole no, honey, I only have eyes for you. And you could imagine that it went as well as you would expect. Bullshit. That's probably what she said. Yeah. So uh, on top of Kelswintha unhappy in her marriage, she also received a letter from home that in 568, her father, King Athanagild, passed away. And with this, Kilprick's marriage to her wasn't politically advantageous anymore. Because as we've learned way back in our Visigothic episodes, they elect kings. It's not hereditary. Yeah. And strangely enough, soon after Athanagild's death, Galswintha was found in her dead, was found in her bed, dead from strangulation. Pretty shocking, right? 
it would be uh more shocking if we didn't hear it last time i know it would uh kilbrick entered a publicly mourning period for the whole kingdom to see and scott he was so sad and depressed and inconsolable that only days after her death he married his lover fredegun to fill the void left in his heart oh i thought we were gonna be a little more uh tact and be like oh and he was so distraught that he spent all of his days in his bed chambers with only the consolation of his fate of his favorite servant no <laughs> no he just had a little quiet wedding with her it wasn't a little over the top it was a, more of a rushed quiet wedding uh and from that Fredegun now went from servant girl to to now queen consort of neustria in a matter of days living the dream exactly this is like a disney film yeah yeah except uh <laughs> you know there are except consequences and real life people yeah yeah except for this is yeah probably the grim brothers version <laughs> yeah yeah bippity boppity boom that's uh, the sound of your kingdom imploding yeah speaking mm -hmm. of consequences not long after this little hasty arranged marriage kilbrick received a summons from his eldest brother gontran uh to be tried for the murder of his wife gelswintha and gontran was the judge of the trial being the eldest you know brother as the neutral party kilbrick had two ways he could handle this as provided by frankish customs since there were no eyewitnesses to the crime, he could bring 72 peers to line up behind him and take a solemn oath supporting his innocence. Option B was, yeah, you got me, I killed her, and then pay Sigurbert or Brunhilde a massive weregild. I don't think we've talked about a weregild on the podcast yet, have we? Do you know what those are? I feel like we have mentioned it or like we probably have talked about it, but okay. I have, I have utterly forgotten it. Okay. Then I'll refresh it for you. It's essentially a paid fine to the family of a victim. And this happened a lot in Germanic honor culture where these blood feuds were started by a member of a family killing a member of another family. This would spark generation long blood feuds. And it would end up dragging other families families not initially involved and they would blow up into completely vicious civil wars that would cause the death of thousands and actually end up destroying entire kingdoms or societies or you know tribes you know civil yeah so to solve this the germanic culture came up with a solution where hey if you kill if you kill this person or you kill x you kill a peasant you killed a noble then this is the fine you attempt you have to pay to the family and this was done to stop blood feuds from escalating and it it is done been done a long time and it works unfortunately yeah. but it works. well yeah yeah you heard him in the pocketbook but it also does mean like uh, you you do answer the question what is a human life worth, worth? and yeah. then also of course I do think we remember talking about these before. Um, but also there's like this implication of like, how much is it going to cost me to kill this person? Like it yeah. changes, the, it changes the price. Like I want to kill this guy. How much is it going to cost me? Yeah. 
the one thing you still can't is the the cultural fallout of killing said person. Yeah, if you get caught. Yeah, you know, exactly. Because if you get caught, that's where you pay the the money. But yeah, yeah, it, it's kind of a. The fact that the, the, this fine exists means that the cultural implications are not enough. Yeah. So since Kilprick murdered a queen in childbearing years, it is possible from records that he would have to pay over 50,000 solidi, which was like the um, common currency of the Eastern Roman Empire at this time. One solidi was worth 172nd of a roman pound of gold okay um to give you an idea a soldier was paid about 16 solidi a year yeah a year a courtier would be paid around 72 uh solidi a year so a courtier be like you know a um basically wake one of the king's advisors would be paid about 72 so they'd be paid about a pound of gold a year this is 50,000 solidi so it would certainly drain his uh coffers what yeah. option do you think I mean, he should go with i mean this is where you just like i didn't i didn't kill you you just don't admit admit to this so you choose you. option A. Would you just have your nobles line up behind you and take a solemn oath that I did not kill this person? <laughs> I like the way you said it. Like I did not have sexual relations <laughs> with that woman. Definitely um, not intentional at all. <laughs> I mean the uh, the actual answer. I mean you're a king. the The real answer is you just blow him off. Yeah, that's uh, yep. That's exactly what Kilbrick did. He didn't with, show up. The hell He's with like, you. Yeah, he's like, yeah, screw you. And he prepared himself for the, now the inevitable war to come. So the storm clouds of war are forming. Uh, Kilbrick and Fredegund welcome a daughter named Ragunth to their household shortly after their wedding. We don't know if it was nine months after or not. Could have been before nine months. We're not aware. Uh after the birth of their first child, they wasted no time and spent a lot of quality time together in the castle. And soon a baby boy was born named Clodobert. And uh, apparently this is a nod to Clovis. So that's kind of cool. Clodobert is one of the names that Clovis was given. Oh, Okay. I think yeah. we talked about it in Clovis's episode. It was one of the several. There's tons of, which obviously all the way descended into Louis, because mm -hmm. that makes sense. Okay. I don't know. It's the Franks. I don't. It's confusing to me. Speaking That's funny. Frankly, I kind of saw. I kind of saw you going. What? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I did. I don't get it. That's yeah. Funny. No, there's a, yeah. Okay. It's the whole translation stuff. In the beginning of the war, Kilbrick lost significant ground to his brothers. He kept losing lands uh, immediately under his dead wife's Morgan Gabe, like right away. Those lands just folded and said, you know what, I'm, we're not going to pledge our loyalty to you. These guys got better stuff. We're going we're gonna to go with them. 
uh, as the war continued, Kilbert kept being pushed back as the months ticked by. He was no match for the combined might of his brothers. He was becoming so desperate that he resorted to scorched earth tactics, looting and burning his own fields and towns before they get captured. So his own subjects, men, women, children, are likely killed or worse and face unimaginable horrors by their own king and soldiers, you know, destroying everything you know. By 575, the fighting reached Kilperic's doorstep in Soisan. He grabbed his wife Fredegund and their children and all of his treasury and they legged it to Turni, uh, which is near the modern French-Belgian border. Uh, where he was going to get ready for a last-ditch holdout, essentially. Also in 575, Kilpric's eldest son, Theodobert, uh, who Sigurbert spared, if you remember in his episode, and he vowed he would never attack Sigurbert's forces again. Yeah, I remember uh, that punk. Yeah, well, Kilpric forced his son to protect the route to Paris, so his son was forced to engage. And then he gets stomped, right? Yeah. He was caught in a trap by uh, Sigebert's Duke Boso when he arrived with fresh troops. And if you remember, Boso was just an absolute beast. And yeah. uh, Teutobert was forced to break his oath and he led just a tragic suicide charge. He knew it wasn't going to amount to anything, but I'm not going to be captured alive type thing. You can see it. It's a classic, like, you know, hard movie scene where everyone knows they're going to die. It's not for a good reason, and yet they're going to do it anyway. This is a Game of Thrones scene to a T. I know you don't see it, but maybe a movie, too, might have happened. Teutobert hails his men one last time and charges towards Duke Boso's line in the charge. He is unceremoniously cut down in his saddle. Fade to black. It is around this time in the city of Tours, our source Gregory is very deep in thought in writing at his desk when suddenly lightning flashes across the sky. And Gregory goes, oh my god. Lightning flashed across the sky just like that before Clotaire's death. So this must mean Kilperic is about to die. How... Do you come up with that like what drug do you take in the medieval times to come to that conclusion i i always feel like that a lot of uh folks were kind of just grasping at straws for a lot of signs yeah but yeah. there's also a level of like i feel like we've we steep a lot of this in mysticism and like the level a healthy dosage of of like the legendary you know oh yeah definitely. like you can't just be like yeah i think i i you know i've been thinking about this and i just got a feeling i got a gut feeling that he's gonna <laughs> die soon yeah because that's probably what like modern people day would say eh, i got i just had a gut feeling that's true no no you have to you know you got to look at the tea leaves you gotta <laughs> look at the sky so that's how i always feel it as is like especially around anything that's like a significant world event which i think this is this qualifies yeah this, yeah. Is, this is the uh the very long time coming shaping of modern day france and by extension 
Europe around it. Like, I think there's a, a healthy dosage of of uh, mythology you can you can attribute to it. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. That that would make sense. It, it's a pretty flimsy death omen that if I've ever heard one. That's a there's been some really good ones, but that one is oof. Yeah, I hope I can like come up with some like really good like predictions just off of something like that. That'd be that'd be fun. It, it'd be yeah. I don't know, it'd feel cool. I mean, the only sad part is you probably won't know that it's good, cool or significant until well after you're dead. Yeah, but, that is true. Yeah. You could just be know. like Nostradamus and write a whole bunch of vague, absolute vague crap that people can then go, oh, yeah, he said it would happen. Because, yeah. of course, it's going to happen. It's, uh... Yeah, the sun rose. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember the half of Nostradamus' stuff. I just but... remember that a lot of his stuff is like, yeah, you can attribute it to that, but you could also attribute it to this or, you know. Yeah. It's like the, um, uh, what was it? Like the, the finding a cross, uh, that came out of a, you know, the, the fallen like building. Be like, oh. of course you found a cross in a broken building. Yeah. The, the beams. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's at like least a... looking at least looking a goddamn potato chip to find like Jesus's face or something, <laughs> a real thing, by the way. Um, yeah, you know, at least be at least be inspired. <laughs> yeah, or the Virgin Mary and a and a piece of toast. I think yeah. that was in Mexico. Yeah, that's that's you know all things considered, pretty sweet. Divine? I don't know. <laughs> At the very least, a very cool coincidence? Hell yeah. Oh yeah. So, completely unaware of his impending doom being predicted by Gregory, Kilbrick is getting ready for a long siege at the port city, Turni. And I don't know if you remember this, but this is the birthplace of our previous High King, Clovis. Yeah, this is the last stand, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So, he's sitting there behind the walls of Turni. Kilbrick kept receiving disheartening reports of more and more defections to of his nobility, swearing their allegiance to his brother. That's right. People were, like, awaiting Sigurd, you know, cheering in the streets, waving white flags and all this wonderful stuff, you know. Yeah. People were crying tears of joy at his arrival and how bad... Kildebert, Kilprick, uh, um, Kilprick. Uh, oh my God! Don't worry, we'll have killed. We'll Kilprick. have Kildebert later. Yeah, how bad Kilprick is? You know this. You know Sigurd so much better. I remember yeah. this well. Yep. So life under siege is pretty brutal, and it's uh, especially in his position of helplessness. It's not like any allies are coming to save him. And you know what makes a siege a little harder? His wife, Fredegun, goes into labor and safely delivers another boy named Samson after the long-haired biblical strongman. That's pretty appropriate, considering that cutting their hair is symbolic of yeah. lack of rulership. I, I love like it. that, yeah. Because also it means if you cut his hair, you'll cut his political strength. Exactly, yep. Got that it. Is... That's... 
it's a wonder that there's not more this samsons the only in the line. samson i know from it's not a frankish name at all by any that's, means that's really incredible like yeah. they really missed an opportunity and i'm really glad that of all people Kilperic uh has decided to take advantage of this yeah yeah but could you imagine having a newborn during the middle of a siege I mean, even if you are the king and you have servants to take care of the infant, it, like your wife is in a very precarious situation while absolute hell is outside the walls. This is um, this is movies in the making. You oh, know? definitely. But I, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I always like my first instinct to say sieges are all hell breaking loose. But then I was like, no, sieges are actually on average usually kind of boring. Yeah, they? they're because you're you're just standing there and be like, you're you got to come out at some point. You're gonna this, starve or it die. Seems of like in this one, um, based on some of the descriptions, is they kept hurling shit over the walls. Ooh, I like that. So Dramatic. like, like there there it they it was it was very rough. Let's just put it that way, because like. You know, Polly. just enough to keep the pressure on and make your life absolute hell, knowing that you can't really walk outside because, like, yeah. you yeah. get a rogue arrow. Because, all right, catapults, I don't think, have invent been invented yet. Um, That's an interesting it, thought. But, like... Uh, really? Because how are we supposed to be like Monty Python and, like, fling over cows and stuff, you know? Yeah, or, no, or, it's not... Or giant wooden rabbits. It's not till the first crusades, I think, um, that they get it from the uh, the caliphates, the Arabs or the Turks. Yeah. I can't remember which one uh, they get it from. It's during the crusades is when that's brought back to Europe. Okay. Yeah, well, that checks out. So, yeah, as you said, Samson has never been said before. And some historians believe this is a subtle attempt to set the child up to have his identity disguised, to live as a month and avoid being killed in the very likely event of Kilperic, you know, being defeated during the siege. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is movie stuff in the making. Exactly. It just shows how dire his circumstances are. He's already planning an attempt for his son to escape death and at least have a chance at life as a monk. And then he'll come back and reclaim the kingdom when he's a grown man. <laughs> yes. See? There you go. There you go. There you go, Disney. There's a. There's Sounds a like Hercules. Board. It does. Sounds like the Disney movie of Hercules. Yeah, completely, completely uh, <laughs> historically inaccurate yet. <laughs> what? The what? movie Hercules. Hercul oh my, well, to be oh fair, my God. they I don't portray think any Zeus of and Hera as like a loving parents. <laughs> yeah. Hera hated Hercules. <laughs> to be fair, this is all, you know, I, I get what you're saying, but it's all it's all mythology. None of it's historically accurate. I mean, anyway, that is fair. That is fair. No, I understand. Yes, if they portrayed Zeus as he was, um, not not pleasant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I I only remember reading a tiny bit of like Hercules myth, and I just remember like I'm pretty sure it's Hercules, where he like meets Atlas, and atlas oh, tricks hercules yes. yep. into carrying the world yes and yep. then hercules is like wait a minute hold up you, you you just dropped this on me you're being an ass 
and says, at least, like, let me readjust this. And then tricks Atlas back into taking the Earth. Yep. <laughs> That's the only thing I remember. <laughs> That's during his 12 labors. That's a very famous thing of the mythology. If people want, we can do an episode on the 12 uh, labors. They're absolutely fun and fascinating. Just, that was a random thing I, like, turned, flipped to a page to and read. And I was like, this is hilarious. It is. It is awesome. I love that that was a thing. Uh, so as you can imagine, Kilbrick is staying up very late into the night. I mean, this, it sounds like his, by this point, his brother is literally 40 miles away. They are probably going to be fighting tomorrow. Um, it sounds like his brother's going to try and, you know, break through the walls. So he's, he's in the night preparing for, with a few advisors left uh they keep spitting out ideas how to get how you know out of this mess that they ended that or finding themselves in but you know each idea they kept going no because this happens and then you know just kind of depressing leads off there and eventually they decided that hey eh, whatever happens happens we'll just fight to the bitter end no truck's gonna save us they all made one last final confession to be absolved all sins so that when, you know, they're about to die tomorrow, they're not going to be dragged at least into the fires of hell for all eternity. Some wrote their wills, said their prayers uh, for their soul, their children's soul. And some of them laid down for an uneasy sleep. Kilbrick made his way towards his wife was still recovering from childbirth. And before he reached her room, he saw two slave boys leave the room with a determined look on their faces. We have no idea what happened in this interaction between Kilprick and his love, Fredegund. Who knows what happened that last night? It'd be it'd be fun. It'd be a really great moment in movie history to yeah. you know put something there. Yeah. Why don't we have any plays about this? Like I don't know. I feel like I, Shakespeare, Shakespeare could have had a field day with this. The Merovingians are, I think, are one of the best kept secrets. It is absolutely the, the tragedies, the the stories that are in this is absolutely fantastic that everyone should be writing about. Yeah, like this just feels really like rife with like enough drama to like. Yeah, it's got it's got all the the, the strokes of like a good. Of oh a good, yeah. Like, shakespearean tragedy exactly or or you i mean you can flip it either way so i think it's fun uh anyways Kil kilbrick awoke the next morning if he slept at all he began preparing for the massive battle that lay ahead uh he knew he you know he had the advantage that he was the defender so he worked with his generals on maximizing the city's defenses However, instead of a massive army besieging him, a messenger came by and declared that Sigurbert had been assassinated. Sigh of relief. Yeah, I'm guessing that uh, Kilbrick had someone double check that he was really dead before heading out. <laughs> so yeah, just... that's, that's smart. <laughs> but we have no way of knowing, but that, that I'd like to think that he did. Uh, it, but he must have had believed it because eventually he himself rode to uh, the villa at Vitry and Artois, uh, confirmed that the dead body was indeed his rival brother. And despite the animosity between the two leading up this point, he was his brother and Kilbrick ordered a proper burial, a Christian burial for his brother so his soul can get to heaven. What a weird time 
to live in. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that there is a certain level of like, um, I mean, Kilbrick had to have known what he was doing. Oh yes. This is, there is a certain level of like, well, one, I'm sure it gives you a little political good boy points if you do this, but even from like a, like, Hey, like I get that what I did was probably considered by some to be rather brute or outlandish or impulsive. And, uh, I don't think that, and he also did elect to ignore the the, the tribunal. Yep, yep. So yep, it's not like he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. So I, I feel like that this is like if you're a reasonably, you know, kind. I don't want to say kind, but a reasonable human. You're like, yeah, like I don't want to. Like, this isn't worth damning a guy over. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, Sigurdard did what he had to do. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just, you know. I, I unfortunately for you, you got assassinated by some children. So, <laughs> but it's not worth going to hell over. Exactly. Yeah. So I I, don't, I can kind of understand and respect that because I don't care how much I hate somebody. I don't think I could ever really like be like if I you know could say one hundred like if I don't think I could damn someone for eternity yeah it's a long time it is a very long time i don't think any sin in my opinion is too great i think well i don't want to say any but i like, think you a couple a really world bar. leaders might be worthy of that but that's it <laughs> that's fair i yeah. think hitler stalin and pol pot definitely i would not feel bad for the big three yeah it's just like for people who like may have wronged me personally yeah i can't think of like oh, too God, many no. people like i don't think i could ever yeah like yeah i can think of three people off the top of my head that i would wish that upon but no not among many of them i know yeah you might be like maybe a little bit maybe a few years maybe a couple years to let them think about what they've done but yeah 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 yeah. it's a long time yeah like even some terrorists like i I, i'd be like can they burn for like a thousand years but i don't even like because that's a long time that's the philosophical question of what is the weight of sin yeah you know that's so it's a fun it's a fun question to ponder but it is yeah that's funny i like it so i i guess yeah point to circle back point being i can kind of understand the the idea of like hey you know he did what he had to do but this isn't worth damning someone's eternal soul over i agree So at this point, Gregory pretty much calls Fredegund a witch. And in these times, this is a very serious offense in late antiquity Europe. I want to give you an idea how much of an offense it is. The Guild of falsely accusing a woman of being a witch is three times that if you force yourself upon her. How do you find out this false allegation? Is this the, the classic, like, you know, am I thinking of like, 1600s where you you know you like dunk them in the river or whatever and like if they drown they you know they're like oh they died pay up if they weigh as much as a duck <laughs> if they weigh yeah yeah if you can or yeah if they weigh as much as a duck then uh you pay up a, a shit ton of money yeah um i i don't really know I have in my research uh, during these times I have not seen much witch burnings yet they're very afraid of witches 
I do. They, they, there's definitely that. And magic is very much real in this time period. I think that'd be one of the only fun things about living in this time period is magic is like, you know, it very wouldn't real surprise in the hearts and minds. Yeah. Like of... it wouldn't surprise someone if they saw a dragon, you know, that kind of thing. What now? <laughs> if like, yeah, exactly. People understand less and so magic is real. Yeah. So we're more this... real. Despite this very serious accusation being leveled at Fredegund, this did not bother Kilbrick or Fredegund. It seemed like they were actually using this as a weapon to be more feared because they wanted to be more feared than loved. And at this point in history, it is absolutely correct. The most effective sovereigns, think of all of the high kings we've had, they're the most feared tyrants. Hmm. Hell, even today, it's better to be feared than loved. No one's going to attack you if you... no Nobody with a nuke is going to attack another person with a nuke because of the fear that they have of what that is going to happen. It's not because of the love of humanity. It's because of the fear of that. So now Sigurbert was dead. The same nobility that deserted Kilperic were falling all over themselves to try and prove their loyalty. And this had to have looked so pathetic to Kilperic. I mean, let's be like, real. Well, well, I mean, well. How... Who's coming home to... <laughs> there, I mean, this is... Kil like, Kilperic, there was no way that he thought he was getting out of this okay. Like, I feel like this had to... I mean, he. he I'm sure he had to put up a front and be like, hmm, yeah... You guys didn't believe in me, but I I fully believe that he thought he was done for. Like he was oh, done so. Yeah. Like honestly, they threw he, a hail like, they threw a hail mary trying to assassinate Kit Sigurbert. That was like uh I was like in a sporting event when a once in a lifetime, you know, end zone throw. Yeah. Like I I'm feeling that he had to put on a face and say, yeah, like, like, mm, yeah, you didn't believe in me. I was, you know, destined yeah. for this. Yeah, exactly. But I bet his internal dialogue was like, yeah, I kind of, I get it. <laughs> There's no way he didn't expect people to be a little bit, oh. um, I don't know, uh, get a little bit of cold feet yeah. around the proposition yeah. of backing this guy when they're all backed into, uh, you know, a ceremonial siege yeah. or a siege in a ceremonial city. It'd be one of those, I get it, but you still have to die. <laughs> Boy. Yeah, that's... Ah, like, I get your position. I really do. But I still have to kill you. I'm sorry. Oofa doofa. Uh, so, some of these people, to gain their loyalty to Kilbrick, they would uh, they would capture several of Sigurbert's household and executed them, trying to display their love of Kilbrick. And I don't know about you, Scott, but to me, killing a king's defenseless servants doesn't exactly prove your loyalty. It does tell me how desperate you are, which yeah. would be amusing for me, but not. Um, yeah. <laughs> so while that was all going on, Sigurbert's forces just dispersed and they ran for their lives. All those tents just came crashing down, I'm sure, and fled and got the hell out of there. Yeah, yeah. Just drives me nuts that, like, yep, boss man's dead. Everyone go home. Can't finish the job. 
Yeah, but that's so common in medieval battles. The minute the king's dead, the minute the top general dies, just the whole freaking force turns and runs. I hate it. But all of a sudden, chess makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, that's true. Kilbrick soon marched to Paris, and he found Brunhilde, the widow of Sigebert, alone with a very cold, imperious look on her face. You can just see this. This, you know, this woman trying to put a very, just a hatred-filled, you know, look. Yeah. And not phased at all. He went, I don't really care. And he had his soldiers detain her. He seized her treasure of seven, of 12,500 Saliti. Um, and we kind of went through that before, what that'd be worth. But her son wasn't there. And it kind of frustrated him that, you know, Sigurbert's lawful heir, Kildebert, was long gone. Somehow, though, with Kildebert escaped, but uh, Kilperic's friend... Well, these C words are going to mess me up. Kildebert escaped, but Kilperic's men managed to capture his fleeing nieces, so Sigurbert's daughters, um, on the Austrasian border town Mew. Okay. Uh, he informed his brother's widows that his brother... He informed his brother's widow that she would be kept alive and treated very well. Uh, which meant she was going to be shut up in a nunnery in like most widowed queens. I always like, I mean, we've gone through the, the, the nunnery, how a lot of the widowed queens, it, um, I'm sure this wasn't a consideration, but it adds a little extra fun color for like Monty Python's quest for the Holy Grail with the, yes. uh, the nunnery scene. Yes, yes. Um, there's actually a lot of science. There's not a, not scientific. There's a lot of historical that the old nunneries and the old monasteries were quite party houses because they were all children of the nobility partying it up essentially. Before That's hilarious. before the Benedictine priests got involved, it was an absolute madhouse that it was like that so there were some that were like <laughs> that that's hilarious i love it and uh kilprick let her know in no uncertain terms that she was never to see her daughters again and that if she tried to escape some unfortunate things might happen to them and it would be because of her actions of course it's cruel, but it's necessary. You know, this would deter any rescue mission from Brunhilde's Visigothic family or her escaping, and then she'd become a major threat to his power. Very standard stuff. Yeah. After reestablishing himself as king of Neustria once again, you know, because Sigurbert was proclaimed that, he's like, no, 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 I am. Uh, he reclaimed all the land lost in the war, and he began grabbing some of his dead brother's holdings because the Austrasian court was in shambles. Uh, his first priority was capturing the cities of Poitiers and Tours, which generated huge tax revenues. I think we went through this last episode where Sigebert got those. He got all the good land. Greatly annoyed Kilperic. So now he gets those. Yeah, Kilpert got really shafted in the deal. So yeah, 
And he's like, honestly, no, yeah, it's mine now. Yeah, this was a real uh, turn of uh, real turn of events. Yeah. In the spring of 576, he sent his son from Ottavera, Merovec, with a Neustrian army to capture the city, Poitiers. And a little while after that, he got wind that Merovec didn't go to Poitiers. Instead, he went to Tours with his army. And Kilperic probably went, did I tell him Tours first? I swore I told him to capture Poitiers first. This kid always does the opposite of what I tell him. And after his little stop in Tours, where Merovec's army trashed the place, uh, and by trashed, I mean looted, burned, pillaged, you know, all that good yep. fun stuff. Yep, common um, fair. Merovec headed 200 miles north, completely opposite of Poitiers, to Rouen, where his mother, Otto Vera, was locked up in a convent. And after his probable reunion with his shunned mother, Merovec decided it was a good time to get married. And so in the very cathedral that Kilperic married Galswintha, his son Merovec married his step-aunt Brunhilda. Ha! That's hilarious. Did you see that one coming? Because I did not. No, no, that's that's actually really funny. It is, yeah. And apparently the church was fine with this, even though you remember in Carabert's episode, they just got done excommuning a king for an incestuous marriage not that long ago. Yeah, this just feels like political expedience. Yeah, exactly. Like, hey, yeah. We, don't like, we don't like this uh, Kilprick guy. He's not very Christian. And you know what? If it takes a, you got to fight fire with fire. So got to fight non-anti-Christian with uh, anti-Christian sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah. Just goes to show how the church really stuck to its ideals at this time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Still forming. We'll, we'll give him the pass. Give him a pass. Uh, Kilprick had to have been livid. His son stole one of his armies, trashed one of his newer rich cities that he was about to get, and then he married his rival brother's widow. Maybe he should have just killed her. He, uh, like, I always feel weird about like this. I know there's a fine line somewhere that I just not seeing as far as like, oh, whether you leave people alive versus sending them to convents and monasteries. Like, it's there's hard. a fine line. It's yeah. hard to kill a woman. Very hard. Well, not just log well, practically speaking, it's easy. Correct. <laughs> Politically, Politically, it's a little different. Culturally, during this time, as chauvinistic as the, they are in this period, they are very protective towards women, and you do not kill them. You put them in monasteries, because after all, they're a harmless woman. Yeah. It's like the the mummy. What does a woman know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. He then received a note that probably pissed him off even more. Merovec was proclaimed king of Rouen. So Kilbrick raised a new set of forces. He marched to Rouen and lay siege to the city. And there he began using battering rams, flaming arrows, chucking large rocks to get inside. So even though the catapult wasn't invented, they had some other contraption to throw rocks. Went straight to the trebuchet. <laughs> Kidding. 
Um, Maybe that's it. The trebuchet wasn't invented. Which, which, no, I'm pretty sure the catapult wasn't invented. The trebuchet was, or was well, it trebuchet I, later? Oh I assume that the trebuchet would have been later because it, weren't trebuchets just far more capable of flinging stuff like? I think I got much that entire. Further. I'm gonna look this up. Yeah, we need to. I mean, the catapult. I could have sworn the catapults were even around for like the Greeks. Damn like, it. but that's that could also just be being. Be you me are correct. Imagining. Catapults is 400 B- BC. E. It is trebuchet that isn't invented till way later. Yeah, because I know trebuchets when they were invented were like, yeah, like yeah, yes. this is a strict upgrade. Okay. Catapult. So, so here we gotta put the soft sand music. Caught ourselves. Um, Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yeah. Uh, so when I was saying earlier that a catapult wasn't invented, no catapult was invented. It was the trebuchet that wouldn't be invented till, uh, it would be invented in China, but it wouldn't come to Europe till like the crusades. How is it really? No kidding. That's a, that's a Chinese invention. Yes. I mean, everything's invented in China. Uh, I think it's a Chinese invention. It was used long I think in 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 China way before ancient China way before it spread to Europe. I guess I just assumed by the name. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is true. No, it made me think that it would it would have been a French invention. No, it was it was it definitely if if it either came from China or it came from Arabics, uh, or the Mongols or you know any of those people who are people who I are don't good know. at math. I don't know the entire <laughs> history of trebuchet. I just know the Chinese did use it way before the Europeans did. Huh. Fancy that. I was getting the two names mixed up, trebuchet and catapult. There we go. We fixed that. Yeah. All right. Cool. Okay. Now we know how they were flinging stuff. There, yeah. Catapults. All right. Eventually, his forces op- forced an opening in the city's defenses and just poured in. So... But unfortunately for Kilprick, Brunhilde and his rebellious son were in the chapel claiming sanctuary. I got to, you know, home base. I got to the free zone. So they're claiming sanctuary as as one does. That's what the that is one good thing the Christians did bring is claiming sanctuary. And many before have violated sanctuary. So even though they claimed it, you know, Kilprick could violate it. But this chapel was dedicated to St. Martin, which is a pretty big deal in the city of Tours and in the Merovingians in general. Any violation against this chapel would be religious suicide and enrage the very clergy he needed to quell the rebellion that was going on. And Merovec went to his father. He he couldn't help himself. Dad, you know what it's like. I was driven by wild passion and my love for Brunhilde. And, you know, haven't you done some questionable things in the name of love? Haven't we? Haven't we all? Haven't we all? Uh, Kilbrick could have done the parent thing of, we are not talking about me. We are talking about you, you young man. Or he could admit, yeah, well, you know, I did some foolish things too because of a love of a woman. I get it. We don't know how the conversation went down, regardless of how it went. Kilbrick went, eventually went fine. 
I will give a solemn oath that I'll try and not separate you two from each other if it's God's will. How do you prove that? How do you prove that? You'll find out. It's a good question. As a result, the newlyweds emerged from the chapel. Uh, Kilperic gave them a Frankish ritual of peace, a ritual like hiss of peace, and then shared a meal with them. That had to be one hell of an awkward, tense meal. Could you imagine? Yeah, like... I'd imagine you pick the longest table and you just sit as far away from each other as you can. <laughs> well, no, they had to talk together. That's what the whole point of the meal was. Kilbrick claimed that he was so troubled by his son's incestuous marriage. And how would that reflect on, you know, Kilbrick in the eyes of the church allowing such a marriage? Yes, of course. The, the man who had multiple wives... Yeah. And, you know, murdered one. <laughs> Allegedly. 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 Uh, despite all his claims of, you know, how he was deeply troubled, he acknowledges their marriage and he treats them as husband and wife. Kilbrick bought into the claims that this little rebellion was the unfortunate result of his son's lust for his smoking hot step on Brunhilde. Or he had new proof otherwise, so he had to kind of go along with it. A few days go by, and a messenger brings news that Kilprick's capital has been attacked, and that his queen Fredegund and his children are, you know, they managed to flee the fighting. But before leaving to go save his capital, because, you know, gotta gotta go, Kilprick sends his guards to surround Merovic, and they and bring his son to him. He then informed his son that he would be coming with him to Soisan. And the newlyweds go, but but you promised under God and everybody that he would not separate them. Kilprick delivers the line that would close out the scene. I promised I would not separate you if it was under God's will. Who's better to know God's will than the king? Yeah, there we go. There's there's the line. There it is. Uh, also, Merovec, you should be clamoring for the chance to defend your homeland. And But, but Brunhilda, there's no place for you in a war zone, so you should stay. There's no Yes, stay here where it's safe, and definitely she'll be alive next time. <laughs> uh, Kilbrick arrived back at his capital just in time to annihilate the Austrasian besieging forces and he gave much re re needed relief to his garrison who valiantly defended the city for him. Pretty impressive that, you know, he had forces loyal enough to him when he was way far away apparently that he left the city kind of undefended and he could trust that his forces yeah. would back him up. It is pretty impressive. Things are starting to add up for Kilbrick. Clearly, there's a bigger plot going on here. He's not a dummy. His son marriage to his rival's widow, Revolt, clearly was tied to this attack. So in order for this to be orchestrated the way it was, this had to be a massive conspiracy going on within his own court. 
this reminds me of the 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 conspiracies of like uh of organized crime how people believe before you know didn't believe it was a real thing until the mafia you know actually was shown to be a real thing so i had a feeling it was one of these things where there was a conspiracy going on despite him looking a little like a conspiracy nut yeah well i mean being a in a position of power brings out the, the kind of the worst in people including paranoia and rightfully so with the merovingians yeah it's not paranoia if people are actually out to get you <laughs> yeah exactly as a result, anyone from court with even a sliver of questionable loyalty was swiftly removed. He also stripped Merovec of all of his weapons, lands, titles, and placed him under guard. While he's trying to figure out who's loyal to him at his own court, his brother Gontran is continuing the original war. He manages to capture one of the cities for Brunhilde, which was under Kilperic's mourning gift, uh, to his murdered wife, Gelswintha, and he ended up killing 5,000 of Kilperic's men. So Kilperic's got himself in quite the mess going on here. Kilperic wanted to bl- point all blame toward his son, Merovec. He officially declared him no longer an heir to the throne. And since a secret conjugal visit by Brunhilde could, you know, fuck everything up, he added a code to the Salic law specifically forbidding a marriage between a man and his dead uncle's wife. That's not targeted at all. Yeah, not, not very, yeah, not targeted, (laughs) not specific. Could be anybody. He then had his son tonsured or given a monk's haircut at sword point. Merovec was ordained as a priest which meant he could no longer sleep with brunhilda but he could stay married to her technically though and it is because if he did have sinful sex with brunhilda the child would be seen as abomination by the culture so he's really take making all the steps to really just merovec is done out of here cannot be used against me a real cock block. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Merovec then was thrown into a monastery near the settlement of Lama. I only know how to pronounce Lama because I watch the 24 hours of Lama every year. So I was, I was, pretty... I was thinking about that. I'm like, you mean like the race? Yes, definitely <laughs> like the race. So that's cool that it was already a settlement then. That makes me happy. I know it's his son, and this is probably why, especially being a father, I get it. But in that day and brutal age, wouldn't you just lay the charges of treason and just remove his head and be done with it? It had to be he cared for his son. Yeah, probably a little bit. He's doing everything but that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he thinks it's enough. Yeah, well, he, he had more. To really ensure nothing would become of this union between Brunhilde and his son Merovec, he forced Brunhilde to choose between her two daughters or Merovec. If she abandons Merovec, he would allow her daughters to return with her to Austrasia. Wow. Brunhilde chose as any mother would. She chose her princesses. And Kilprick was so eager to be rid of her that he even instructed his men not to seize Brunhilde's treasure. 
bold. Yeah, I don't. It feels like he's. I don't. I don't say reasonably chivalrous. I think that is what he's got to be doing because, whew, that's a lot of treasure. Twelve thousand two hundred. It's not not small. Yeah. Brunhilda said that she was so worried about bandits on the road, and she asked if her treasure could be guarded by the bishop that married her and Merovec pray, pray Taxus. We'll go with. Uh, and Kilbrick thought, yeah, it's a little weird, but he really wanted to be her to be gone, so he allowed it. And then finally, Brunhilda left. Kilbrick allowed him sigh of a little bit of relief. Got that problem out of his kingdom. No rest for the weary, though. He was notified that in the Cathedral of Tours, the pesky bishop... Gregory was protecting Sigebert's Duke Boso and Kilprick's rebellious son, Merovec, who apparently had broken loose. Gregory is clearly in the pro-Austrasian faction. And unfortunately for Kilprick, he had the protection of, I don't know, being a bishop and could wield the mighty hammer of God to push his own agenda. So Kilprick has to fight against God, too small just the small battles this is where you got to like make your own bishops and then just proceed to just like you know have them throw lightning bolts at each other yeah exactly (laughs) exactly that's the only way because like uh, removing gregory he is he's got a will of iron as you'll see gotta make your own later yeah gotta make your own bishops yeah exactly gotta find a way to get gregory out of there Luckily for Kilprick, the secular ruler, Count Ludest, was a direct rival to Gregory and threw his full support behind Kilprick, making it very difficult for any of Gregory's, like, you know, allies or Kilprick's opponents in that city. So if they're trying to smuggle them food and shit, you know, like uh, this Ludest fellow is, like, arresting them and trying, just making life hell, you can imagine. Okay. Things between Merovec's faction and Ludest's faction in Tours turned more and more violent to the point that Kilprick's own physician was attacked and robbed. Obviously, Kilprick can't let this go unanswered. Attacking a member of the king's household is seen as pretty much attacking the king. So Kilprick sent emissaries to Gregory demanding that he oust Merovec from St. Martin's Cathedral, and if you fail to comply, the entire area surrounding Tours will be eviscerated. Gregory told him swiftly to go to hell. (laughs) As you'd expect. Kilprick then began uh, preparations for war when the campaign season opened up again in spring. Then some unfortunate news came from his brother Guntram's court that uh, after his two heirs died from dysentery, uh, Gontran's uh, heirs, Gontran declared Brunhilde and Sigebert's seven-year-old son, Kildebert, as his heir. So now Kildebert is heir to two out of the three Frankish kingdoms. It's like a next level spite move. Oh, it definitely is. Yeah. 
the the big middle finger to to kill Perik on yeah. his deathbed. Exactly. Uh, Kilprick was already not in a good mood. Well, I mean, let's back that up a little bit. Gontran isn't even dead yet. Yeah. He's just yeah, doing this yeah. to secure his his yeah, lineage. His, his, yeah. To ensure yeah, I, that it doesn't get divided among. Yeah. Equally, according to Salia Claw, because Salia Claw says, you know, if you have heirs, it goes to them. So <laughs> that's all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Kilprick who already was not in a very good mood when he was on his way to tours, it didn't get any better when he found out that Merovec and Boso escaped to Austrasia. So, as you can imagine, this sent Kilbrick into a furious rage. He set his men on the countryside where they caused unimaginable horrors to the occupants. He was so irate that he even plundered the Basilica of St. Martin. Like, he just let all hell loose. He then sent more men to patrol the Austrasian-Neustrian border and declared uh, small raiding parties into Austrasia with the task of hunting down Merovec. While Merovec was on the loose, Fredegund came up to her husband and said that her own spies found out that Merovec's rebellion was being funded by Merovec's godfather, Bishop Protextus, who, you know... Brunhilde gave all of her treasury to. So Protextus was arrested on charges of high treason. Since he was a bishop, though, he was out of the reach of any secular court. And so, therefore, Kilprick wisely deferred to the church. He convened a clerical synod and had the church try him under their jurisdiction, their laws. All of the bishops except Gregory, were loyal to Kilprick and Fredegon. And Protextus saw the writing on the wall. He confessed he was brutally beaten, stripped of all ecclesiastical titles, and thrown into exile. Things were starting to look up for Kilprick. You know, he, he figured out why Brunhilde wanted to leave all that money behind, and he ended up seizing it himself. His son, Merovec was now captured and imprisoned in a small town and he got rid of this pesky bishop. However, uh, when Merovec got to the small town, Merovec was dead. His son was killed by a servant on his orders because he did not want to face whatever his father had in store for him. Merovec's death left no figurehead for the rebellion to rally around. So obviously, you know, it's stamped out. There's no more leader kind of called it mm-hmm. yeah shortly after that fredegon their son samson became gravely ill of dysentery fredegon managed to survive but their two-year-old did not as a result kilbrick now lost two heirs within five set within the year of 577 so not a great year for him despite you know some victories Despite his losses, Kilprick took a page out of Sigebert's playbook and threw a Roman-like celebration uh, worthy of a Roman emperor with bread and circuses, is what we're told. So probably a bunch of games and some amphitheaters, festivals, yeah. things like that. Yeah, yeah. He moved his family to the palace in Paris and declared it like a second kind of capital. 
this is a big screw you to Gontron and his nephew Kildebert on the Austrasian throne, especially considering the whole, I will not enter this city unless uh, the others agree. He and Fredegund then celebrated their victory quite enthusiastically, and they, uh, let's say, christened the new palace. Therefore, <laughs> soon a boy named Dagobert was born. A couple of years go by with nothing of note until the very wet summer of 580. I mean, it had been nonstop raining. Farmer fields and homes were flooded out. Their cattle was being drowned in the floodwaters. You could probably see this in movies. I'm sure it's happened. As a result, the water surrounding everybody was filled out with washed out latrines, animal corpses. This is the perfect breeding ground. Uh, this is the perfect breeding ground for dysentery and it swept through a, a vengeance throughout italy germany and france so this was no small thing okay yeah it's kind of like the plague almost except for well, it is it's a plague it is definitely a plague that wasn't the only thing on Kiltbrake's mind, though. Rumor had started spreading around that Fredegund had been sleeping with his trusted ally, Bishop Bertram, who worked with him and Fredegund alongside, who worked alongside him and Fredegund at the Bishop Raytext's trial. So now his wife may be cheating on him, who, you know, he started a whole civil war for. <laughs> not great not great Bob. no loyalty uh worse still they tracked that dagobert could have been very easily consumed conceived during the trial making it a real possibility that dagobert is not his son and therefore he mm. had doesn't have an heir well how are you gonna prove it Exactly. Even if this is blatant slander of Kilprick and Fredegund's enemies, it's a serious accusation. Like, this is huge implications on secession. Like, even though you can't improve it, like, the, the thought, the implication alone has a lot of massive effects if, let's say, Kilprick was to die right now. Gregory's rival, Count Ludas, saw this as an opportunity to rid himself of the bishop. So here you go. He gets his chance to get rid himself of the bishop. He appeared before Kilprick and he claimed that Gregory was questioning Fredegund's virtue. Gregory was under, was ordered, sorry, Gregory was ordered before a royal court on the charges of treason. He received support, though, from an unlikely source. Fredegund's daughter publicly fasted with all of her household to support Gregory. <laughs> like a rebellious teenager. Yeah. Yeah, that's bizarre. It is. It is very bizarre. It ha it's just seems like such a teenager girl thing to do. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. It's kind of funny because like, yeah publicly fasting be like the pe peasants are like you mean like our diet yeah exactly especially if they followed um years of poor harvest if it was a wet year yeah harvested stink be like 
are already starving. <laughs> Just doing what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. This some oh sorry. He called in Hail Mary. He asked his dear friend Poet Fornatus to write and perform a panegyric for Kilpurick at his trial in hopes of saving his skin his skin by appealing to Kilpurick's ego. If there's a man who can do it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's uh, our good friend Fortunatus. Yeah, and apparently he rolled another nat 20. I think he has a weighted dice when he's doing these things. Every time. Every time. It somehow Ace worked. in the hole. I mean, the bishops at the trial accepted Gregory's view of events that Count Ludast was at the root of these rumors. Not Gregory, it was Ludast who did it. Of course it was. And Ludast was excommunicated in his absence. Uh, Ludast, upon hearing the result of the trial, you know, got the hell out of there and ran for his life. Uh, the rumors about Fredegund immediately ceased. Like, cold turkey stopped. That's good. Basically, don't fuck with the... Probably, it seems like, one, they weren't true, and two... Yeah. The, the royal yeah. family made it very clear don't screw with us we will kill you we will even kill a bishop we got no I qualms got, i got fortunatus on speed dial yeah <laughs> after the trial kilprick was struck with dysentery he lay in bed with fever and but he eventually recovered good for him his newborn son, Dagobert, was struck with the illness, unfortunately. Kilprick and Fredegon rushed to baptize him in hopes of, like, saving his soul, should the worst yeah. ha happen. That's right. Gotta cleanse him. Yep. However, he seemed to approve a little bit after the baptism, but then his older brother, Clodobert, who was nine or about ten, he started feeling ill. You know, the royal family at this time and just people in general had no concept of pathogens. The symptoms... Or water management. Yeah, or water management. Like, I'm sure baptism, like, when people that sick of baptism, it's probably because of something in the water, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the symptoms, like, of, like, what have been going on that were described a little bit earlier... Uh, it's probably caused by the highly infectious bacteria Shigella. I don't know if you've, or Shigella, do you know, have you heard of this one? I actually have. I did when we, although it's been a while. I did for backpacking because it's like one of the things that you can catch today. Like if you don't uh, mm. filter out your water. That, that is a very likely place where I heard it. it it's enough where I saw it like, oh yeah, this, this word I know. Today, a mild cases clear up in a week um, on their own. Otherwise, we use antibiotics. But in antiquity period, late antiquity period, it's a death sentence, especially among children. Or it's close to a death sentence, especially among children. Fredegund and Kilpurk believed this was caused by God's wrath for their greed and taxation. To try and save their family, the king and queen burned all the tax records, wiping out all the tax debts of the entire kingdom in just a few hours. I mean, no one was like, you know, if it's if you live, it's God's will, and who better to know that than the king? <laughs> yeah, that would have been that would have been the real like 
Yeah. <laughs> it's God's will that you die of dysentery. Exactly. It would have. Uh, unfortunately for us, like even if the IRS burned down, we'd still have to pay taxes. So that, you know, <laughs> it's kind of, yeah. For all of you arsonists out there, don't try it. <laughs> yeah, Don't try it. Does it, it wouldn't work out. Despite this last ditch effort to soothe God's fury, their son Dagobert passed away. Fredegon and Kilbrick, as you can imagine, are becoming increasingly desperate to save their child Clodobert. He was placed on a stretcher and carried to the tomb of St. Medard. You know, the saint that uh, <laughs> Clotaire killed. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's also where Clotaire and Sigebert are buried. Or allegedly killed. Allegedly, yeah. There the king and queen pleaded with God, praying constantly for his recovery. Uh, unfortunately, their efforts were in vain, and Clodoberch died shortly after. I cannot imagine as a father the heartache this would have caused, but on top of it being a king, this these deaths Stress. like just created an entire secession crisis, destabilizing the kingdom even more. Yeah, and it's not like he uh, was for lack of children. Yeah, no. It's just had multiple. It's just dysentery. It just wiped them all out. Absolutely horrific. There is not much you can do about that one. No. And now Fredegon is a queen without heirs in the Frankish kingdom, which makes her very, could have made her very insecure, but it appears the opposite was true. There's evidence that Kilbrick bent over backwards to please or avoid displeasing her. Granted, this was written by enemies of Kilbrick, so it, it might be what more of what they want us to receive, perceive. Like I was saying in the beginning, they want him to look weak. But right around in his, it's about right now in his reign, we get a story that confirms that eh, there might be a little, little fire to the smoke. Despite all of Fredegund's sons being dead, Kilbrick still had one remaining heir, his son with Ottovera, Clovis. After the death of their children, uh, Clovis or Clodobert, I think is what we call them, uh, Kilprick and Fredegon escaped the epidemic in the forest of Quiz, which was royal hunting grounds. And I'm pretty sure there was like a royal cabin there. I, there's no way they were camping in the forest. Yeah, doesn't doesn't seem in character. Yeah, Fredegon somehow got Kilperic to send his only remaining heir to the royal villa, which was currently infested with dysentery. You know, all their kids just died there. And this is basically Fredegon blatantly making Kilperic choose between her or his kingdom. And is an excellent <laughs> manipulation tactic on someone to use who is infatuated with you. And uh, it would not be lost on Prince Clovis to how much his father did not give a damn about his health. Mm. <laughs> and despite all of this, Clovis survived the epidemic. Then Fredegon went on full-blown Cersei Lannister evil against Scott. You really need to, like, watch Game of Thrones or read it for these references. You know, I'm telling you, I'm, uh, it's going to become a it's going to become like a bingo card for this podcast that a Game of Thrones reference comes up that I miss. doesn't understand. 
So I, I think the big thing for me is it felt like that um, Game of Thrones just felt like it was trying to be too edgy for me. I mean, yeah, until you read these like, stories and then it's like this. He just copied what we're happened going from to take, history. We're going to take a story and we're going to put a focus on these characters and then we're going to kill them. Nobody is safe. Everybody dies or can die. Isn't that what we're like, doing right now? Everyone's <laughs> dying around I us. Think, Everyone's safe. Yeah, but like the difference <laughs> being is that like, for me, the the people... Like this is a this is a real life story. This is people like doing their thing, and it's kind of interesting because like you're like, oh yeah, people live the you know people lived this. Yeah, I think it's a lot different when like you write it that way or when you're writing it, and then also like you have a main character, right? That yeah, yep. Like for us, it's a little different because like we we talk about someone's life, and I love it because it's the beginning, the middle, and the end. And for the most part, it kind of rounds out or we round it out and some kind of fashion even if it's not the world's most satisfying story because unfortunately not everyone lives very cool lives no um you know we all can't all be kill pricks <laughs> so but like when you're writing a fictional story you have 100 percent control over the narrative and i think that there's a level of like you know you invest in a character and then like you know they die which is totally cool killing characters is great but like when it happens time and time again, which I know Game of Thrones is famous for doing. Oh, yes. It makes you detach from the characters because like you're just like, why? You're going to die again or there's a good shake that they'll die. He's it, pretty good at making you really care about the characters, even though they could die. Yeah, it, it just it just makes but you I walk into that. the story with a, with a healthy dose of cynicism has been like. And yeah. And so, like, just having, I've seen, like, little bits of Game of Thrones and then, like, um, of particularly, of course, most of it being the last season, everyone's favorite. Um, and the, uh, there's also, like, this idea of, yeah, when people loved how much they did, how much they did it, they always described it to me as, like, yes, I like it. And I think it's crazy that, like, oh, this person's the main character and then they die. And then this other person kind of shifts focus. They become the main character. And then they, you know, die or whatever. And I'm like, well, this doesn't sound like, you know. It just, it takes us, it was in, I don't know if it was in the time, it was before the times of like, everyone was trying to, you know, uh, what's that called? Where they like switch what you think is going to happen just to do it. It's, it, well, yeah, there is kind of like, yeah, when everyone's just trying to pull the rug. Yeah. Which is totally cool. Yeah. And rug but pulls he, are great. But he did this way back, you know, and I forgot when he wrote the book in the 80s or the 90s. And, you know, yeah. the, the series just took what he wrote and put it out there. Like he was doing this before, you know, it was cool, so to speak. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know. For me, it's just like how it, the, the medium of writing versus the medium of like yeah. movies. Yeah. I think it really, it's just a lot different to me. I can see that. But I, I do like to get, occasionally, if I see a character I like, I like to get invested with them. And if it's like, yeah, if I if I just like have the feeling they're just going to die, it just, even like, especially like if I think they will, it's making me just going to go, oh, you know, what they're doing isn't vain, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's kind of how I have a hard time rereading some of Harry Potter books is because certain characters I love, it's like, well, why would they die in the end? And it just 
destroys you every time you read it yeah or like even yeah or i guess just like i yeah I, it just makes makes me want to like dissociate from them a little bit yeah i can see like, that okay yeah if characters destined to die <laughs> why should i cheer for them that's like my thing so uh, i could see that that, that, that right. is my that has been my uh yeah. that and also i do get hype aversion to the i i degree, know you so. get hype aversion people with... people loved to hype up game of thrones and boy did i love not watching it yes you did all right well buckle up everyone we're about to look real evil not not this character evil in the face prince clovis found himself in love with a smoking hot daughter of a servant Hmm. Sounds like Fredegund. Hmm. Sounds like someone we know. Takes after him. Yeah. If uh, Kilbrick were to die, Fredegund would be shit out of luck, and this new servant would replace her, just like Fredegund did, to Ottovera, and she would rule besides Clovis. So obviously, she's a witch, right? Yeah. That's of what you get out of that. A witch. That, that's what a I witch. got. So Fredegun ordered the poor girl beaten and just to be nice, not nice. I'm just going to say humiliated. You can use your imagination tied to a stake and make sure that Clovis to make sure, sorry, and tied to a stake to make sure Clovis would see her. She then had the girl's mother tortured until she confessed that she helped Prince Clovis cast spells to kill Fredegun's sons. There we go. Wonderful. This is, yeah, witch trials. Yeah. Love it. Fredegun presented this confession to Kilperic, and Kilperic, completely against his own self-interests, stripped his only heir, Clovis, of all his weapons and possessions. He was chained and given to Fredegund, who then moved him to another estate's dungeon. Basically, don't don't worry about it, honey. I got it. Shortly after this, Clovis was found with his hands bound behind his back alone in a dungeon cell. And somehow he managed to find a knife and stab himself to death. Of course. I was going to say. That's how that works. Yes. As, Ma as Vader would say, most impressive. Yeah. <laughs> The, yeah, with your hands behind your back, you managed to. Ugh. Awesome. I, that's that. He should be a saint for that magic trick right there. Uh, Clovis was conveniently buried so quickly that Kilperic could not verify that it was indeed suicide. He then learned that his lovely wife who he adores, dispatched her own men, because now she has grown powerful enough to have her own soldiers, to Rouen and had Otto Vera ripped out of the nunnery and brutally murdered. Otto mm. Vera and Kilperic's daughter Bassina was raped by Fredegun's soldiers so that her dishonor would remove any chance for her to be married off so that Fredegund's daughter would be used in a marriage alliance instead of her. Yeah, that's um, some very uh, brutal pragmatism. It, yeah. Yeah, I don't understand how he's allowing this to happen to his own family, his own daughter. He's, he's 
so like this is where okay maybe some of the things are are true in terms of him being under her spell because ooh, that's a special kind of fucked up once uh fredigan's servant was done being tortured the mother of clovis's girlfriend she recantered her you know her confession because she was no longer being tortured <laughs> and despite that she was dragged from the dungeons tied to a stake and burnt alive because she clearly lied yeah exactly one way or another at some point if That's, you're kilbrick yeah. don't you just put a knife in your wife to stop all the insanity yeah this seems a little out of hand but this is getting a little ridiculous i mean he, he loves his he loves his wife <sighs> i love my wife too but if she went off the uh yeah don't yeah yeah Whew. you're on microphone don't the silence is your best friend. yeah even that um, though like if she does that that's like let's say Padme survives like revenge of the sith it, she's no matter how much she loves anakin she's not going back to him let's just put it that way after he does some of the things it's just it's just younglings yeah <laughs> So while his wife was out committing unspeakable atrocities, <laughs> we we snap back to Kilbrick, who's working on his poetry. He but he was getting kind of tired of that, and then he took up theology, and for some reason he wrote up a decree trying to abolish the Trinity. <laughs> wow! Yeah, I'm sure that that would go over well. Yeah. You know, the whole thing that was dividing the entire church between Catholics, Shel uh, Sh Council of Sheladon and Nicene Christians and Arians. Let's just get rid of that entire thing together. <laughs> yeah. I well, he's not exactly a uh, church-friendly fellow anyway. So. No, as, oh. as you can imagine, that failed. But... I really kind of wish that that happened because that's a great what if in in history. Like, what new sect of Christianity would this bring out? <laughs> um, but that failed, obviously. So he moved to crafting songs, and one of these apparently survived to today. And all the song does, like is display that Kilbrick didn't really understand Latin well. He didn't, like, have a poetic rhythm. In other words, he was, like, not a songwriter. But, hey, he that's tried. Actually, that's really funny, <laughs> actually. I, I I appreciate that, like, yeah, that, they, that he uh, was trying to be probably really, I don't know, refined. Yeah, yeah. Speaking Latin, exactly. the language of the Romans. <laughs> the thing that everyone you know kind of wants to embody exactly it's so funny can't yeah <laughs> he's he's trying he's doing his best then kilbrick tried his hands at the alphabet <laughs> how'd that go he added four letters to the alphabet and decreed that it should be instituted in all schools and all textbooks need to be rewritten with the new alphabet like so I, i'm just curious is this like something i'm assuming that this wasn't something that we actually did um i think it is because it actually i can't remember what 
I couldn't. It was it was kind of um, flimsy to me, so I didn't like put it in here. But I'm sure one of our listeners can let us know. Some of it actually made into like uh, languages that are spoken today. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, some of them, I, I, I think it's up, uh, might be some Nordic, uh, some Nordic languages, uh, up in Scandinavian languages might have had something affected by this. Uh, so that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. But, I, uh, I was just surprised that it, you know, kind of made it through. Yeah. Even if, even if a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I was about to be like, man, this guy gave us like X, you know, <laughs> the, you know, the most used letter of the alphabet. I, I forgot what they were. I it would it would have been a whole nother rabbit hole, and this script was long enough, so I, I didn't go into it. But like, yeah, that that it, I think it's around today. I'm not entirely positive, but some of the stuff, or it's, or like its influences in it today. But it, mm. it's kind of funny. Uh, so, like, you know, it's kind of funny that, like, his midlife crisis <laughs> changed some languages. Well, when you can't buy a Corvette. I know, exactly. Uh, he was dabbling in so many things that the nobles actually were starting to grow concerned about their king, which, you know, no shit. <laughs> they were growing concerned. <laughs> your, your, uh, your hardened king is trying to, you know, dabble in theology poetry he's trying to create the alphabet he's clearly lost his mind he knows his he knows his time is coming <laughs> yeah the their biggest concern is that it was possible that the king could no longer produce children and since he had and he had no more heirs because you know fredegon just murdered his last remaining one so they began making the case that he needed to adopt someone to avoid a secession crisis. Oh, who is who's oh. who's remaining yet? Oh, I was just thinking we could. Um, oh, God, I already forgot its name, but the heir of the other two kingdoms. That'd be fun. Uh, yep. Reunite everything. Exactly. That'd be fun. So what became known in the history as the Nogent Accords, Kilprick designated King Kildebert of Austrasia heir to burgundy as his heir so these accords created a new alliance between the kingdoms of austrasia and neustria who've been at their throats since creation so now kildebert this this is serious this is weird kildebert is now heir to both burgundy and neustria he is king of austrasia i think he's like eight years old or 11 years old right now what year is this i uh, don't think i have it here um around 581 i think is when this happened so he's around 11 years old and he is like the sole heir to the entire frankish empire at this snapshot in time but he is now allied with Kilperic and is at odds with Burgundy, his uncle Gontrand. Even though he's still heir to Burgundy. A little messed up. Yeah. 
you understand all what's going on? Is it is it kind of clear? Um, yeah, a little bit. Okay, all right. I knew this was going to be really confusing to the audience, and because it, it, I had to read it several times to make sure I was reading it right. But yes, he was heir to. So he technically had three fathers at once because they adopted him as like his son. It's kind of kind of a wild moment in history. So now that this alliance was created, history had to be written, rewritten. Their alliance now. Sigurbert wasn't assassinated by Fredegund's servants. No, 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 no. He was assassinated by the evil king Gontran, who is now their shared en- enemy. <laughs> yeah, simple. Exactly. So they probably had to disperse that all to all the schools on top of the rewriting the alphabet despite all that in the december of 582 fredegund gave kilbrick the thing he desired most in life an heir and baby teodoric was born he was so overjoyed that every prisoner in neustria was released and all fines were forgiven and now the succession becomes a pain so even though he had a son, yep, yep, uh, born, the agreement meant he was still in alliance against Gontran. So in the summer of 583, they began their invasion of Burgundy. Kilprick and the Austrasian regent, Bishop Egidus, uh, reached Burgundy's border and then realized that the Austrasians, other Austrasians who were supposed to join them there, failed to show up and so they had to fight without their expected reinforcements gregory later claims that seven thousand men on both sides became a casualty of war and after the initial struggle ruggle gontron sent in reinforcements and smashed kilprick's army inflicting even more casualties the Seuss, the two sides negotiated for peace egidius's men fled northward and the Neustrian-Austrasian alliance is disintegrated. The alliance is flipped again, where they're the two, um, where Burgundy and Neustria are once again, no, and Austrasia are once again against Kilbrick and Neustria. Okay. And to, yeah. and to make things worse, the rain came back. The rivers began flooding and dysentery was spreading like wildfire again. And it struck the household once more. Baby Teodobert fell ill and died shortly after. Kilprick is back at square zero. Boy, he's really just had like the rough go of it. He really has. Uh, things were starting to deteriorate. But Fredegund gave birth to another baby boy. So... But this time, she and Kilbrick kept him secret from the public eye because they were afraid that if the baby appeared in public, something bad might happen to him. They seriously think that all the things that are happening to them are a thing of witchcraft, is what I'm starting to believe if you read between the lines. And that it's not just a thing that, you know, we make fun of them for saying, oh, it's witchcraft. No, I think they she actually believes it, and he might actually too. I mean, how could you? You don't have the yeah. science you have today. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the amount of stars aligning bad luck. Oh, it's horrific is is very unreal 
So it's not entirely like I feel like even like people today with like lots of, you know, like, you know, germ theory and stuff like that would still be like, man, I am supremely unlucky to an almost supernatural degree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been sick since my son started daycare. <laughs> yeah. So. So, yeah. Like. Yeah. I, yeah. I, obviously, yeah. you, you kind of know better. But there does come a point where, like, yeah, you, you have so many heirs. They all die. Yeah. In a horrific way. Like, that has to be horrible to watch your kid die from. I cannot imagine. That would just, oof. Well, thank yeah. you. In September of 584, while returning from a hunting trip, he was stabbed by an unknown assassin, putting the end to the wild roller coaster of his reign. Fredegon flees to the Paris Cathedral and seeks sanctuary. She doesn't even attend Kilbrick's funeral out of fear. He is buried next to Kildebert I in the Abbey of Saint Germain des Prix. And that's what I got. <laughs> that's all that's, that's it. it you know just two hours worth of stuff no big deal yeah. all right i guess we can get started all right royal power all right how long based on that entire narrative do you think his reign was all right not oh all right i gotta like not peek at anything uh feels like he does a lot of stuff but uh, i'll give him 20 years pretty damn close 23 years 561 to 584 i'll take the win there you go uh so the big thing in this section is we have to determine how much he actually ruled himself did fredegon move him like a puppet or is it somewhere in between mm. so my first thing is I think he definitely controlled it himself. Um, I think pers yeah. personally, Gregory has such an axe to grind with this couple that he wants to portray Kilbrick in the most pathetic light possible and Fredegund as the evilest witchy stepmother who manipulates this weak king with her body. So anything remotely leading that way, Gregory is just going to embellish the hell out of it. But he did do some questionable things with his offspring towards the end of his life. So something tells me that Gregory conveniently left some important information out that kind of would paint a clearer picture other than Fredegan was a manipulative witch and Kilbrick was helpless to her. Because why else would he just let her do what he she did to Clovis? Again, it could have been the dysentery and they actually thought that his girlfriend was... His mother was a witch yeah <sighs> the the thing going in his favor is be, uh gregory begrudgingly acknowledged kilbrick had a lot of power he had inspired mm -hmm. great respect in his court he did not have to deal with it in fighting like sigebert did his nobility warlords aren't stupid. This this isn't like some, you know, like Slater medieval nobility, some Renaissance nobility. They would hate the thought of a woman ruling over them. So if they thought of Shred that Fredegon was actually ruling them through Kilbrick, they would have done something about it. And Gregory, oh, would have been jumping from the rooftops telling us about it. And the biggest thing about his power is look at what he got away with. 
He killed his own wife. Everybody in the kingdom knew it, and yet he didn't face any wrath from his own court. They all went along with whatever he decided. They backed him up to the point of war. Sigurbert did not have this kind of loyalty. Towards the war in the end, when everything was going down, yeah, loyalty shifted a little bit. But at first, they all backed up. What are your thoughts on on him? He's he's such a weird character. Yeah, it feels mostly like a positive thing to me. Just again, like the this feels like uh, a king that just kind of takes what he wants. Yeah, and that yeah, not a, not necessarily entirely, at least not until the end, being influenced by his wife. Yeah, he's very unapologetic very true to himself <laughs> yeah does a lot of stuff it is so hard to like encompass all of this exactly stuff i know um i mean it feels pretty darn good to me despite the fact that he was minutes from losing it all apparently turns it around in you know the comeback of the century oh yeah that was that the absolute hollywood style comeback like you couldn't write it any better yeah uh feels like i got a seven i'm gonna go an eight i think he i think gregory has showing us him in a much more negative light and that if we had someone neutral or positive it'd be even written much differently yeah yeah it's it's a wild story and it's so hard to just kind of like encapsulate that in a single number exactly it's such a roller coaster it's so crazy seven and eight for 15 infamy so unfortunate thing with this rain is a lot of this stuff could be bullshit gregory could be making stuff up but we have to go with what people believed at the time Right off the gate, he tried to steal the kingdom from his brothers. We don't know if he was part of his brother's assassination or not, but I'm pretty confident that Fredegon didn't just assassinate Sigurbert without him knowing. And this at the time was seen as very infamous, and especially in the um, Frankish warrior honor culture that they had, like fight me like a man type deal. They don't not a fan of assassinations uh which is funny because they assassinate all the time uh he was at least a part of murdering his wife galswintha i'm pretty confident that he ordered the hit or was at least yeah he had to have been the final say Mm -hmm. uh he taxed the hell out of everyone including the church he pretty much killed two of his heirs. Granted, Merovec kind of dug his own grave by seeking a marriage with, you know, Brunhilda. But Clovis, uh, that one was, that one's a little much. He allowed his own daughter to be violated or gave Fredegun no consequences for allowing her soldiers to commit such a heinous act. And towards the end, Fredegun, it seems like, had free reign over his, well, reign yeah yeah this it's just kind of i again gregory does a wonderful job of painting a picture um 
he feels pretty darn infamous to me. Oh yeah. He's like an eight. I agree. Eight and eight for 16 religious passion. All right. Originally you wouldn't think, you know, he's that religiously passionate. He's got a lot of, uh, things against it. Um, in our narrative, in fact, he seemed to have battled the church a lot, but he actually battled Gregory a lot, not so much the church. He forcibly converted a number of Jews to guarantee their salvation, in quotes. He donated some land to the church, actually grants a decent amount of privileges and tax immunities to a number of cler churches, clergy, and holy cities. He is said to have been remarkably gener generous to individual shrines of saints. So, but wasn't this like after he had taxed the church? Oh yeah, he taxed the church. This was like this was like his I'm on my deathbed. Or well, I'm sorry, not deathbed. He's like I'm afraid that my family will be accursed and on and on their deathbeds. We don't know when it happened. I don't yeah. the when the stuff that I have read, I don't gather when it happened the it church feels like is... tax breaks yeah it just feels like uh it, it, at least it, it felt like it would coincide with like the we need to undo this voodoo curse so we're going to but that, you know... that's still being pretty passionate religiously believing that this is a you know uh the wrath of god and that you need to just yeah. like think about it of like um the pagans when they think you know uh, Zeus is, you know, angry to them. They they give him an offering or something like that. That you would. I mean, which is 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 it's uh, part of the religion. Is converting, uh, you know, if I if I convert to a faith right before I die, is that considered religious passion? <laughs> or ask ask Constantine I mean? the Great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's just kind of like one of those things where it's like I don't know. It it feel. It again. That's fair. One hundred percent know that this tax immunity stuff like yeah. coincided with him trying to undo uh, any like curse uh, or got wrath of God. But like, there comes a point where you experience so much tragedy, and you're like, I'm willing to try anything. Yeah, there's to get rid of. This. Yeah, there's, and if it coincides with that, then that to me that just feels like a mark of desperation more than religious passion is it kind of the whole there are no atheists in foxholes <laughs> yeah yeah that's it's kind of the same thing yeah. like can you are they you know it's a it's a philosophical question yeah it is and opinionated but to me it doesn't at least that mark doesn't feel like um you know religious passion but i'm willing to throw a few points his way uh, feels like a three. Yeah. Or two. Oof. He didn't forcibly convert some Jews as much no, as I that's true. Like that. that is, that is, that is kind of. I do like some that is, force. That is going to get you some points in this category. Force is good. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to agree with you with the whole church thing oh yeah it's tough uh I think that he murdered his own wife though like that's not very christian like that's not very it's not very christian of like, you i don't know he doesn't scream i'll keep it at a three i'm gonna go to a two you really i was thinking a lot more but nope i'm gonna go to 
Yeah. Uh, again, I, I think it's just narrative. Yeah. A little bit. Cause when you say a thing, my brain is going to connect it to other stuff I've heard. Yep, so it that feels true. like it matches up, even if it maybe didn't. So my limited knowledge tells me a three and uh, my negative influence tells you a two for a total of five. Stability. Uh, I can't find positives other than his court was behind him. Uh, negatives, constant civil war, created his own secession crisis by killing two of its heirs. Dysentery, not his fault, but, you know, that's not going to yeah. have a stable environment when you're having yeah. famine and disease run rampant. Yeah, the, that, yeah, he really just, his entire brain was just one series of just troubles after another and some of it he created on his own i the start of it like eight eighty percent of his woes probably came from him just killing his wife yeah everything else is just the nuclear or, fallout or even marrying her in the first place he could have just kept brunhilda and avoided all this nonsense well yeah so yeah, this guy doesn't feel particularly stable. No. He, he held things together. He didn't really have the infighting, though, yeah? Yeah. So, like, one. Yeah, one. For one and one for two. Royal demise. He was assassinated. I could write another ten pages if we wanted to to go down this rabbit hole, but I don't want to be here for another hour. It's kind of a mystery. There's a lot of people that could want it. Um the one that I want to dispel right away is Brunhilda would not want him. Uh, not Brunhilda. Fredegund would not want him assassinated. Like him being in power gave her power that some people said like, Oh, she tried to assassinate him. Cause she had, a, um, a, she had an affair with some military guy or some other leader. I, I don't buy into that, but he was yeah. assassinated. And okay. it's a mystery. Um, Who knows? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of neat. It's like a two for me. We finished just having so much assassinations, it kind of loses its luster. I'll go three. It's also like a very nondescript. You said a three? Yeah. All right. Doing a three for five. Legacy. All right. We have a lot to sum up here. Kilbrick was very busy with his wives. All right. So with his first wife, Otavera, they had five children. Only one survived. Teodobert uh, killed in battle. Merovac killed by a servant at his own request after a war against his father. Clovis was assassinated by Kilbrick's wife, Fredegund. Vecina was traumatized but managed to outlive him. Clodacinda is a daughter who died of dysentery from a young age. First marriage. Second marriage to Gelswintha didn't produce any children. Marriage to Fredegund produced six legitimate children. Only two survived. Uh, one daughter, Regunth, who is betrothed to the Visigothic prince, uh, prince Ricard, but she did not end up marrying him. Uh, Clodobert died to dysentery. Samson died to dysentery. Dagobert died to dysentery. Te Teodoric died to dysentery. 
Finally, their last child, who we did not name in the narrative, is named Clotaire II. He will end up successfully succeeding his father as a baby. Good for him. Uh, Fredegund has her own legacy. We're going to let her get all her points during her episode, so we're not going to give Kilbrick anything for her. Uh, impact he had, he restored a number of amphitheaters, once again promoting equestrian gains, animal fighting, wrestling, theater, poetry, music. The fact that he did poetry, theater, music really brought, brings a lot more color towards this time people think of the dark ages Mm. as like all that stuff is dead obviously not if he's bringing that kind of stuff in uh that actually too would make a very positive impact on the lower classes and not just the nobility yeah also we have the whole um alphabet alphabet may have impacted some languages today i'm willing to give him that because i think it's novel all right um a lot of stuff most of its heirs that die yeah Uh, um let's see out of 10 this feels like a i don't know i'm willing to like go for a six holy crap just on the merit that like so the way i look at it is like yeah amphitheaters really cool like impact to the day-to-day but then i'm like well the people who are really great what do they have they they have their stuff that goes into today and if you have you know i know it's silly to hang everything on an alphabet thing but like hey you know if he had an influence on a modern day society or language let me put even if it's an influence or like hey like that's kind of wild you know you're changing how people write (laughs) Let me confirm that I am correct okay. on this before we give him points for it, because that will raise my own points. Yeah, because that's like a, a thing for today is a big thing for me. Because, you know, that means, you know, we're carrying into, you know, you know, thousand plus years later. Give the man some credit. So K- King Kilbrick, the first letters, um which looks like a triangle. I uh, oof. They look weird. Uh, anyway, they are found in the runic alphabet. Hmm. And they're also found in the Danish alphabet. Oh, sweet. So, yeah, actually impacted some people. Yeah, so for a good so while. He did affect the Old English and Danish Norse alphabet, alphabets, which obviously would have then indirectly impacted today our yeah alphabet correct yeah that's kind of what that's kind of wild so i i'm not a uh i can't i, I can't linguist. i'm sure it would take a while to like trace this but yes um, yes enough that he did affect yeah, this wasn't like yeah this wasn't just something that was stuffed in a book like this was something that was circulated to some degree that people used it yeah and it, so i think that's pretty darn cool yeah and it was like apparently part of franglish which is funny all right um so i know i'm being a little generous with the six but no no the alphabet isn't huge i never even thought yeah especially when that's 
Yeah, there's a whole thing we could go down the rabbit hole of. I will go... I'll match your six. You convinced me. I was going to go three, but uh, no, the alphabet, that is pretty huge. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one thing I latched on to here. Yeah, I like it. All right, Scott. With that, how many points did this man give us? Well, our grand total of 27 and 28 for a total of 55. Pretty decent. That's got to be more than Sigabert. It is, as a matter of fact, as disappointing as that is. It's disappointing. <laughs> Sigabert's, I think. He's uh he's got the he's got the the more righteous narrative. That is true. Thanks to our good man old Greg. That is true. Well, so does that make it enough to have that Kilperic have the epicness to be crowned as high king and placed in the Hall of Legends? Is he good enough to just be a minor king in the Hall of Mediocrity? Or was he so bad that he should be burned at the stake? I think his is one of the greatest untold stories that he should be a high king. Ugh, that's tough. Would you crown Anakin as high king? If he became emperor? Hell yeah. Yeah, boy. Think about what Uh. he accomplished. Think about what Kilbrick accomplished. He took this tiny kingdom of Soisan and built it into a powerhouse even though it's not right part of me wants to burn him at the stake because he is kind of like anakin and he literally gets burned twice i mean that is that is true <laughs> he has the comeback uh, of the century he, he does and that's hub. pretty sweet he he made huge gambles like incredible gambles they did not pay off but Man, that's what a that's what a high king does. A high king goes for it all. He just didn't work, and he so, managed to go through all of this, and he wraps it all up with a Greek tragedy with all of like what happened at the end. Yeah, it's tough. It is like, like the making, I really feel uh-huh. the story, and and we're getting into the spirit of like is a high because you know idiots also gamble it all and they lose he kind of came out okay all things considered um he did he made gambles though that makes sense none of his gambles they did never yeah it makes sense i wouldn't necessarily make them myself yeah but you can, I, the payoff could have been massive yeah i i'll i'm willing to give him the high king on the merit that like he does enough stuff that he doesn't strike me as a mediocre man. No, not at all. It's just kind of like if someone would be like, yeah, this guy, is he high king to you? I'd be like, he he just doesn't fit the character, you know? Correct. Like, but would he be someone? In, in, or his actions in, in a lot. He... Like his character and like, you know, he doesn't really be like the the guy who creates the empire and then dies with a smile on his face or anything like that. No, but... He just, he he really defies the archetype. He's like uh, Pelagius the <laughs> what? Darth Pelagius the Wise. No, no, not Pelagius. Uh <laughs> Skyrim Pelagius. Pelagius the Mad. The Mad King Pelagius. Uh, okay, yeah. Remember, like that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, to me, a high king is someone who I'm gonna pull. I'm going to remember. I'm not going to remember Sigabert after this whole thing is over. I'm going to remember Kilbrick. You know, I actually, because I was describing this to someone, like when I was describing Sigabert's episode, and I was like, you know, this is actually one of the more interesting ones because it 
it has the beats like it, it's got the great story it, beats it for does, me yep. from the flip side because you're you're viewing it like from a for me from a protagonist view like the bad guy the evil brother you know kills the you know the white his wife the sister of your wife and you go on a you know borderline holy crusade to you know <laughs> stop him and then you know only to be dramatically assassinated at you know the the vital point obviously does not a high king make but for me it was like yeah this feels like a very cool story it is obviously it's very cool to see the flip side yeah but for me like always will and you know good job old man greg um for like you know forever painting kildebert as the villain in this oh, story yeah. and will always be he granted is. he again he does the stuff he does stuff that is like as far as we know of he killed his wife that alone is hiking material most people by most people's accounts killing your wife is considered a bad thing <laughs> so uh yeah it's just like he he he, he's like my begrudging high king because he defies the archetype he definitely does so yeah you can have the kids table in the high king <laughs> at the high king i'll give him the i'll give him the kids he's the table. villainous high kings we have the villains and we'll have the heroes yeah we never said they were good high kings no i just i never see yeah that's that's the thing is our rating system's not about how good they are it's how, about how interesting they are yeah yeah. The only it, good yeah, thing we just... have is stability. That is the only good thing that we have. Or legacy even. Yeah. Well, you can have, yeah. Cuz royal yeah. power, you generally got to be a nasty individual to have high <laughs> You could power. be so infamous that you create a rule that lasts till today yeah. for legacy. It's true. That's a bad. That's a bad consequence. It is a bad consequence. Well, what did you guys think? Did you think that Kilbrick should be given High King? Uh, Scott, are you confirming that he is High King? Yeah, okay. yeah, he's got, he's got it. All right. Let us know what you thought. Uh, you can message us on Facebook and Instagram at Quest for Power. Email us at questforpowerpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this marathon of a show, one, if you made it all the way to this point, thank you. This is a long episode. If you feel like we deserve a five-star review on podchaser.com or wherever you get your podcast, that'd be massively appreciated. Even more appreciated appreciated would be if you told a family member or friend about our podcast, which helps us grow as a community. If you want to join the Lore Masters Guild, go on SideQuest Adventures with us. You can do so at patreon.com slash questforpower. Next session, we are going to review The Last Remaining Brother saint gontron and finally with that the king is dead long live the king 